Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is an interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, The First Guide to Funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be glad you did. Whether you're watching or listening to our audio podcast version, I thank you as always for your continued interest and support. This episode features drummer, guitarist, composer, producer, Jellybean Johnson, best known as one of the original members of the Prince Protégé funk group and eventual super band, The Time. Jellybean, along with Morris Day, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Jesse Johnson, and Monty Moyer, who was previously on another episode of Truth and Rhythm, were the killer lineup associated with two spectacular funk rock albums of the early 1980s, their self-titled debut, and also What Time Is It? And then they had 1990s comeback set Pandemonium and 2011's Condensate under the non-Prince restricted name, The Original Seven. The guys were blocked from using the time name for what was otherwise a wonderful album that I rate as one of the best funk discs of this decade. In 1984, when Prince dismissed Jam and Lewis, from the original time lineup with Moyer following, Jelly Bean stayed on along with Day and Jesse Johnson for the Ice Cream Castles album and an appearance in the Purple Rain motion picture. During 1990's reunited phase, the Times original members also appeared in the Graffiti Bridge film and placed tracks on that soundtrack. Among the Times classic tracks are Get It Up, Cool, Wild and Loose, 777-9311, The Walk, Jiggles Get Lonely 2, Jerk Out, Ice Cream Castles, Jungle Love, The Bird, Release It, My Drawers, Shake, and Tricky. While Prince was responsible for most of the music on the time's first two records, the band proved to be sheer dynamite on stage with an engaging, energetic, and entertaining style as a supremely funky act in its own right. Through the years, the depth of talent among group members made itself known as each member went on to their own success. Jellybean went on to become a member of another Prince Protégé act known as The Family, which was even shorter lived than the time. The group released just one album, 1985's terrific self-titled record that featured high fashion, mutiny, and the hit Screams of Passion. Notably, the record also included the original version of Nothing Compares to You that would become a number one pop smash for Shanita O'Connor just a few years later. During those same years, Jellybean became a key contributor to Jam and Lewis's Flight Time production team, working on hits for Alexander O'Neill, Sherelle, Nona Hendrix, New Edition, Janet Jackson, and others. For more than the past 20 years, Jellybean has performed with the touring lineup of Mercy and the Time that also includes fellow original member Moyer. In addition, besides playing on the original Sevens Condensate album in 2011, Jellybean regrouped with the family that same year under the name F Deluxe with a strong Gaslight album. 26 years after the debut, they finally followed up. Yep, Prince once again did not allow them to use the original name either. Since then, F Deluxe has continued to record and tour. More recently, Jelly Bean has formed Jelly Bean Johnson Experience to unleash a big surprise to many. He absolutely shreds on the guitar and the band focuses on funk, rock, and blues. The JJE has performed several shows, and a debut album is in the works. 
I caught up with Jelly Bean as Minneapolis home to find out how he got his start in music and get all the juicy details on the inner workings of Prince, the time and all its members, the family and F Deluxe, and how he is still going strong and the new projects he is currently pursuing. He pulls no punches in telling it like it was and how it is. Trust me, the quality of the content trivializes any shortcomings in the audio. So here is my conversation with one of the most important funk and R&B musicians of the past 70 years, Mr. Gary George Johnson, better known as Jelly Bean. Hello, welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. I am so pleased to be bringing you today drummer, guitarist, composer, producer, Jelly Bean Johnson, best known as an original member of the baddest, slickest, funkiest band to ever come forth from Minneapolis or most any place for that matter. Jelly Bean, <laughs> how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. You're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> hey, it's the truth. You know, it's not bragging if it's the truth. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm just trying to stay funky in my old age, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're looking good, my man. I think you're taking good care of yourself. I, I try, man. I try to work out every day and, you know, do a lot of cardio and stuff. You know, it helps. You know. you know, I lead a rock and roll life. It's, you know, it's crazy. So I better do something. A lot of us is leaving here, you know, so I want to stay a little while longer. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, we're very glad that you are. Um, because uh, so you've done so much great music through the years. And uh, just from the uh, top of the show here, I just want to thank you personally and on behalf of all the viewers, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Try to keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. So now you're coming to us uh, from Minneapolis today? Yeah, I'm in, my, in the suburb of Minneapolis in Brooklyn Park. I've actually lived in Brooklyn Park for over 40 years. And... Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I like to call myself a Brooklyn Parkite, <laughs> but, you know, it's cool. I just like this particular suburb and stuff. Uh, uh, some of my friends that lived in the southern suburbs say, oh, why don't you move out of Brooklyn Park? You know, it's, you know, it's ghetto suburbs. Well, I, I, that's part of the, uh, the attraction for me. It's more, it's more, it's suburban, but it's urban. And, you know, I'm an urban type guy, I like riding my bike through the streets and all that kind of stuff, you know, so, so it's a cool place for me. Well, you're a big guy too. You know, no one's gonna mess with you. Well, some some people try me sometimes. It's all right. <laughs> the police station's right up the street too, so that's okay. I guess that's a hindrance and a convenience. So you know, if this anything jumps off, it's gonna get handled one way or the other. So. <laughs> well, if you're anything like me, I'm a big guy too. I'm almost six three, but you know, oh, okay. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But I have that look, you know, that's like yeah, just... you have that look. Like, no way. I wish you would. Huh? <laughs> exactly. So usually I don't have to have trouble, but you know. Yeah, exactly. So if, you get, if you got that right look, Scott, you, they, they know. They know not to go there. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I learned. <laughs> so uh, talking about growing up, uh, Jellybean, if you could tell us about, you know, your childhood and how you first got into music. Okay. Uh, my mom moved me here when I was 13 from Chicago uh, to keep me out of the gangs. The gangs were starting to recruit me at, you know, very young age, 12, 13. And my mom wasn't having it, you know, because she was seeing the culture of the gangs and you end up either getting killed or be killed, you know, or, or, or killing somebody. And uh, she just didn't want that kind of life for, for her kids. So she moved me here in 1968. And, uh, and 
it was a culture shock for me at first coming from Chicago because, you know, I lived in like a, a predominantly black neighborhood in Chicago on the west side. And we moved here. We moved on the north side, which is black here. But, you know, in Chicago, you had like the radio station stayed on, you know, their black radio stations were on all night. Here, they were on about three or four hours tops. They were done in the afternoon. They come on like one o'clock in the afternoon and by maybe four or five o'clock, there was no black radio. So as a young kid, I was forced to uh, listen to white radio. And that's when I, you know, it, it changed me musically, you know, because in Chicago, it was all about James Brown and Tyrone Davis and all the black, you know, culture icons, Rita Franklin and all that. And here it was more like Rare Earth and Black Sabbath and <laughs> Three Dog Night, you know, and stuff like that, you know. So it changed me as a young black kid coming up. And then and, and when it, and when I got to be about 13, I got into Hendrix a lot. And I, you know, I really was enamored with the guitar, but I didn't know how to play one. So as uh, luck would have it, my cousin, who was uh, two years older than me, had a guitar. And he was staying with us at the time. And then he moved back with his mother, but he left the guitar with me. And so I was teaching myself to play, and I got kind of good. And then the minute he left it for about a year, and then he came back and saw I could play it, you know, pretty good. He took it. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so then my mother uh, uh, bought me a guitar that you know of my own so then I could can continue on and stuff so that 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 was the whole thing with the guitar and stuff by then I was already playing the drums but the guitar was you know was uh, it, I was just enamored with it you know so I, I started teaching myself and I just I just you know I'm a self-taught musician drums and guitar actually my mom got me lessons playing the drums for like six months and then I made her stop because for one, they were every Saturday morning at eight o'clock. And if you didn't went to school all week, you know, until Friday, Saturday, I don't want to get up and you know, like I'm going to school and go some dude playing, trying to teach me how to play rock and roll drums. I didn't want to play rock and roll drums. I want to play like James Brown's drummers. Mm -hmm. So, and he wasn't teaching me that. Now he might've got to that at some point, but I was impatient. I was like, you know, mom, you're wasting your money. You know, I don't want to go no more. So after about six months, I stopped. So. And that continued to self-teach my stuff I wanted to learn, you know. So, so yeah, that's that's how my childhood came. And then, you know, of course, as I got older, I got around 15, 16, I, you know, I was, I met Prince when I was like 12, 13. And I met Terry Lewis at 15. I met Morris at like 11. You know, me and Morris used to be, uh, we both left-handed drummers and I, we would, uh, put our drum sets in, in his mother's living room and we would play that like a tandem. We would play side by side while she was at work. And so that's how we both kind of, you know, helped each other get pretty good because, you know, we were like teaching each other, you know, the stuff we wanted to learn. We put on like a Tower Power record, you know, David Garibaldi was our hero. So we figured if we could get close to that, we'd be all right. So, so it turned out, we, we, you know, I've shared this story with David many times and stuff, you know. Uh, if you listen to me and Morris play the drums, that's, that's who we close we sound like that's who we try to sound like at least is him so i bet it sounds like it would have been a beautiful noise with the two of you playing drums at once i don't know if his mom thought that but <laughs> <laughs> we were both blessed to have moms that were you know put up with our stuff man my mom worked at the post office for 30 years and she had a rule like okay you know you can play all day and most of the night but when i get home at 10 o'clock you the drums gotta stop <laughs> so I, you know, I, I would play up to like eight, nine, and then I, I would stop giving, you know, because she come in working for eight hours. She didn't want to hear all that stuff. Even though she thought I was pretty good, she didn't, you know, she didn't want to hear that, you know, especially when she's trying to rest and go back to work the next day. 
So well, that's that's where you break out the guitar without the amp. Yeah, I did. Trust me, I do a lot of that too. A lot of that quiet in my room with the door closed, and you know, just playing to yourself. You know, electric guitars are not that amplified, but you you can still hear them when you you know you you right there playing them. You can still you can hear what you're doing. So that worked out. And then, of course, when she was gone, then I could crank it. So, <laughs> yeah. Did Did you have brothers, sisters? I had a I had two brothers. Uh, unfortunately, one died. He drowned when he was thirteen. Uh, and my other one, he just passed recently and stuff. But it, it it was a cool childhood. They 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 were they were you know supportive of what I was doing. You know, they could tell when I was getting good. You know. And uh, I tried to get my. Uh, my brother under me to play the bass with me, but he, he just, he wasn't interested. He was more interested in stealing cars and, <laughs> and doing that, smoking weed, that kind of stuff. So, you know, so he went the other way, you know, and I, I was always inside trying to learn, trying to get better. You know? I'm yeah. surprised you didn't say, Hey, if you're going to steal, you know, there's a nice guitar over there. You, you know, forget the car. <laughs> I could use that. <laughs> you know what's kind of think about that? <laughs> he probably would have tried to, he was ruthless. But <laughs> So, you know, contrary to uh, what a lot of people think, you know, no relation between you and Jesse Johnson, um, just the same last name, but I think um, a lot of people thought there was a relationship there. Yeah. yeah. No, we're not. Uh, people, you know, people over the years thought we were automatically with brothers and, you know, we were we were tight when we were in the time, but, you know, Jesse's something else. He's something to deal with, but... Uh, uh, no, we're not brothers. You know, we're not blood brothers. He was the last one to get into the time. He was—he originally grew up in Rock Island, Minnesota, and uh, he came here to join the, the music scene. And he got caught up with Morris, and Morris introduced him to Prince, and that's how he ended up in the time. He ended up being a guitar player for the time. Yeah, we just both happened to have the last name Johnson, so people always thought, you know, that we we're brothers. All right, Jelly Bean. So let's uh, step back a bit. You're you're in your teens. You're playing drums. You're playing some guitar. Um, okay. And so you uh, were, were jammed with Morris. You had met Prince. Yeah. Then you became part of Flight Time, or what was the sequence leading up to the time? Okay. I was in Flight Time. Uh, Flight Time was a, a local band. Me, Terry Lewis, David Island, uh, Jimmy Anderson, Bob Johnson, Robert Martin, Cynthia Johnson from uh, Funky Town fame. All of us was in the band when we were like 15, 16, 17 years old. It was called Flight Time. And, uh, and then Morris and Prince were in a rival band called Grand Central. And, uh, and so we, we, you know, we were rivals and stuff. We were still 15, 16. We, were, we weren't your normal 15, 16-year-old bands. We were pretty good at, you know, at a young age. And uh, so anyway, uh, 1978, uh, you know, Prince came out with For You and all that. So then the next year, uh, when he was doing, uh, uh, oh, it was Want to Be Your Lover after that. Anyway, 1980, 1981. Uh, Morris, who, who was one of his best friends, went out on the road with him, filming him. And he, he uh, Morris had written a song called Party Up. And Prince wanted the song. So he approached Morris. He said, okay, well, we can do one of two things. I can give you cash for the song or we can make another band. And Morris chose the band. So, okay, now the only problem with that is Morris is a drummer himself. And he wanted to play drums in the band. So they had this, I, I don't know if you ever heard about the infamous meeting between them and Alexander O'Neill. They oh. met and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> and uh, Prince, you know, had a meeting with them and I, I wasn't invited because, you know, Morris thought he was going to play drums and Alex was going to be the uh, lead singer. 
And so anyway, they went to this meeting. It was like a Perkins out here in Minnetonka or something. And, you know, Alex, I guess he really showed his butt and stuff and said he wanted to know how much paper was involved and all this stuff. Well, Prince wasn't having it. You know, it wasn't about that. And he wanted, you know, he wanted to have a band and, you know, this is what, how it's going to be. And then, sure, the paper's going to come later. But right now, you know, we're trying to build this band. So anyway, Prince told Morris, said, you go back, you get Jelly Bean. And uh, he's going to add to him to you, Jimmy and Terry and Monty. And uh, we, we're going to get this guitar player, and you're going to sing. Well, Morris is like, really? I, 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 I don't want to sing. I want to play drums. He said, no, you're gonna, uh, I'll teach you. And so that's, that, you know, that's how I ended up in the time. So I, you know, that's, we were flight time, and then we had bobbed into the time you know, doing that. Well, I was thinking uh, you know, Morris was probably really glad that he made that deal for the song oh, yeah. Party Up. Yeah, today, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, but at the time, maybe he was having second thoughts because of getting moved out front from the drums. You know, yeah, what? Yeah. A whole total, <laughs> it was a whole total different thing from it. And I watched it evolve, Scott. It was it was amazing to watch. You know, because he didn't know what to do. But Prince, you know, he he was like a coach, and he he wrote us, man. We we rehearsed eight hours a day, every day, mm -hmm. seven days a week, and that's how we got that tight. Because you know, we he was like a. He was like a slave driver. <laughs> it was it was crazy, but in hindsight, it developed all of our music, you know, musical thing. You know, it, it made us all become better musicians. Cause he was like that, you know, he was a prodigy himself. So he figured if his dad could ride him like that, he could ride us and let's see what happens, you know. So yeah. So what was your thought when you first got into that group? Were you thinking, wow, this is gonna be dope, but you know, or of course, she didn't use the term dope then, but you know, this is gonna be really cool, or were you? Well, I, I, I had, you know, I, I, I thought we were good. I didn't know, and then of course, after Prince, you know, ran us through the ringer like that for like five, six months, then he took us to Detroit and put us on stage in front of twenty six thousand people. Now, mind you, Scott, I was just from used to playing in a bar, you know, every once in a while it might be packed, it might not. And then all of a sudden, you were in front of 26,000 screaming fans, you know, because by this time, Get It Up was out, and it was a big hit in Detroit. And I'll never forget, I, I, I almost froze up, you know, when you know, I, I counted the, the song off, you know, because we had this big grand also beginning, and I was just, I was just so nervous, you know. And the people were going nuts. They were going nuts. And that whole 35 minutes, we had a little 35, 40 minute set, you know, where we played all six songs on our record, basically. And it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And so that's that's when I thought hey, we got a chance to be, you know, pretty good. So, did you have to? You know, I had uh, Monty uh, Moyer on, and he was talking about uh, when he auditioned for Prince to play keyboards at the time. Did you have to audition at all, or was it just sort of a foregone conclusion? You were. It, in? Was, it was just a foregone conclusion, and that was because of Morris. And that was because that playing in the living room next to him. <laughs> that's what. That's, it was a foregone conclusion that if he wasn't going to play the drums, I was going to play. So that's so yeah, that's how that happened. Did you ever have uh, you know interest or designs on playing guitar in that group? Because you know Jelly Bean, I didn't even know that you could play guitar until a few years ago. And I, I saw the clips on YouTube, and I was like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> it was like the world's greatest kept secret. Uh, you know, my guitar coming out party was innocent for Alex, and I never forget. You know, I was sitting in the Orange Bowl with Prince. And you know, everybody had been raving. I guess they had been raving him about the guitar solo because they thought it was Jesse and it was me. And it found he found out it was me. And so we're sitting in the thing and I was like, 
I was almost apologetic. I was like, uh, yeah, man, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, that is me on the, you know, yeah, yeah, that's me on innocent and stuff. He said, Jelly Bean, I know it was you. <laughs> it's just, just me and him and his daughter. I know it was you. And that's all he said. And then he went and got on the stage in front of 55,000 people. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I went through it with that little dude. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, wow. it, it was like the world's greatest kept secret until, until then. And then, you know, I would show up like on Fishnet or something like that or guitar solo here or something. And uh, I, uh, you look good to me of Sherelle, you know, and then some other Alex stuff. And then I did the Janet thing. So I did a solo on Janet on the, on the control record, uh, You Can Be Mine. And she's like chanting my name underneath there, you know. And so that kind of exposed. And then Jesse Johnson cussed me out because I didn't play the solo on Black Cat. Well, I was in producer's mode on Black Cat. You know, I wanted, it was the heavy metal age and I wanted to sound like all those heavy metal cats. That's when Tommy Lee and all of them, and Richard said all of them was raving about the Janet song because it sounded like some shit they would do. And I did that on purpose, you know, so. Wow. Yeah. So <clears throat> what were your impressions of, of Prince in those early days? I mean, obviously he, he you know, you're talking about him being like a drill sergeant, working you like crazy. Yeah. Um, how much, how much did you get to know him as just a guy? A little bit. I, he would hang out with us sometimes, but he always let you know he was the boss. You know, that's the thing. And what helped me is I had been around him when he was a kid. I mean, I had played basketball with him on his driveway. We were like, you know, young. So I knew that side of him too. But this whole, this, this whole musical side was something totally different because I was doing what he said, you know, and, you know, when I didn't know he was famous or something like that, I probably wouldn't have gave him that kind of respect because I'm like, dude, I'm, you know, I'm your equal. No, I'm not, you know, but I would have probably thought that, you know, years ago when we were rival bands. I'm like, oh, dude, what are, you, what are you talking about? But then after we saw the success and how, how you know, how genius he was, you, you had, you'd be a fool not to pay attention to him, you know. And so when he did something, you, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Jam would tell you this, Monty would tell you this. He used to get on them. He said, you know, he wanted both hands. He wanted them to have both hands on, you know, both hands had to be working. They had to be singing and they had to be doing steps at the keyboard. Now think about that, Scott, that they're, musky, they're multitasking. That was the thing about the time. We all had to, you know, we all, every, every limb on your body was doing something and it better be doing something good or you was going to be hearing about it. Jesse and Terry had to dance and step and sing and play their asses off. You know, I had to keep the beat. I'm the engine. I got to keep it rolling. Morris had to learn how to step and do all the dances. He had Jerome helping him, you know. It, it was a machine, bro. It really was, you know. And it's one that's carried on to today, you know. Yeah, you know, I saw that uh, 82 tour at the Long Beach Arena with oh, yeah. Um yeah. And uh, talking to Monte about it, I think he said Stevie Wonder was there or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what do you remember that experience? Because what I remember, first time seeing the time at that show, I'd seen Prince before that. And I was like, wow, these guys are yeah. amazing. Yeah. And at the thing I, I'm going to tell you, the thing I remember the most about the Long Beach show is Prince came backstage after we got done playing, after the night was over, after he had played. He said, uh, yeah, you guys kicked our ass tonight. And that was music to my ears because, you know, he had been such a jerk, man. <laughs> <laughs> So I knew it was killing him to admit that. But we did. We put a little bit of extra on his ass as long as it's because you, you got to realize a lot of the major markets, especially when we had a band E6, he wouldn't let us play. He would let us play for them and he wouldn't let the time play. So it'd be him and band E6. 
and we'd be pissed. Can you imagine? We were in New York. We played Madison Square Garden. We let us play. We're backstage. Every celebrity you could think of, slash Stallone, whoever, whoever was huge at that time, was there to see, to see Prince, and was wondering where the hell we were, and we're up backing up Vanity Six. So, and he did that on the East Coast, and he did it on the West Coast. You were lucky to see us in Long Beach, because I think we so. went to we went to like the forum or something like that. We didn't play. It was him and Vanity Six. <laughs> so we were pissed, you know. But what can you do? Yeah, so like the Frankenstein's monster that he created. Yeah, be- like he, that. That's what I, I I chuckle when I heard him say that. You know, I I heard that years ago, and uh, and me and Monty were mad at that. Well, at least I was. I don't know how Monty felt because I seen him on one European show, and he said he mentioned everybody in the time except me and Monty. He said all those guys, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Jesse, and Jerome, all, all those guys are going to be R and B legends. But he didn't say me and Monty, you know. And, and which was ironic because me and Monty both been to the top ten ourselves, you know. But back then, you know, he, he just didn't show this. He showed me respect in later years, but back then, I we we're like kind of like the afterthought, you know. Those the other guys were, you know, those yeah, whatever. <laughs> how, how did you feel, Jelly Bean, about the fact that the first record was, you know, all Prince doing that? I mean, did you feel cool with that, or were you a little disappointed that you weren't actually on there? I, I you know what, Scott, you know. It, as a musician, I felt a little slighted, but after a while, after I seen success and stuff, and he kept telling, promising that we were going to be on the next one or we were going to be on the one after whatever. And so I just took his word for it. So I, you know, and then, like I said, after I was seeing how the crowds were reacting and how people were reacting to us all around the country, I, I, you know, I, I accepted it. You know, I did. And so, you know, when we got to what time is it, he, then he, he incorporated Jesse and, and, and uh, Jesse and Jimmy Terry incorporated them in there more. He still hadn't put me and Monty in yet. And then by the time uh, we got to Ice Cream Castles, Monty and them guys were gone. But he, by then he was letting me play. I played the bird and stuff like that. I guess I'm going to show you here. Okay. Oh, wow. It looked like you framed it, too. That's yeah, nice. it's usually right up there on the wall. Oh, wow. So that's a cool ass picture, man. Too. You're the only one. Um, did you you're the only one. Everybody put my name on there. Oh, did... <laughs> great! Yeah, Scott, be cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Do you know uh, where I got this? Where? Um, at the uh, video shoot for Jerk Out. You kidding me? That many yeah. years? That was many years later. Yeah, yeah. I was on the. I happened to be on the set for that, okay. and uh, and I brought that with me. Oh wow! <laughs> so you got to tilt your uh, picture up there. You're cut off at the eyes. Oh, okay, okay. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, I brought it with me to the set of that. Uh, that was a fun video shoot too. Yeah, it was. It was cost two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It should be. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> that was who? Or Julian Temple? I think that's who did that. Yeah, he was like a renowned video dude back then. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's in Los Angeles where I live, so. Oh, out. okay, okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, but yeah, that first record. I mean, you guys didn't play on it, but man, it was a great record. Get it out. Well, cool. The stick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Prince, he used to preach to us. He said, you know, that that's why the whole thing about us all, every limb moving and stuff. He used to say, it has to be better than the record. You guys have to play it better than the record. You have to play it better than I did. You know, he used to preach that to us. Like, so, okay, well, we, 
we go throw it out and we go see what happens. So the crowds let us know that it, it was sounding kind of right to them. So, you know, <laughs> so I guess we did all right. You know, you know what I just realized is I showed this to you, but not to the audience. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there we go. That's classic. That is a classic picture, man. I mean, That's what I was just showing. So, and there's yeah. the uh, 1981. Yeah. To Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, you guys made the decision to sign the back rather than the front. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. That wasn't my choice. Oh, wow. wow. You guys must have thought it was funny or something. Yeah, it was good. We got a big kick out of doing that, really, because we, we always consider ourselves kind of hooping gangsters, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that fit us with the police after us. Now, oh, yeah, it's a classic. Some of the time played on this. Did you play anything on this? I didn't play on that. Uh, uh, T Terry and Jesse. Terry okay. and Jesse are the only two that played on it. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys killed it live, though. Oh, man. I used to love making them funky, man. We were behind this curtain, you know, and, and when we first started doing that, Scott, we had disguises because we didn't want nobody to know it was the time, right? So we did that for a few shows. And then Prince got the big uh, pink curtain with the fish net thing, net on it and everything. So we'd be back there. Sometimes he would be back there playing with us. So they, it would be really funky then because him and Jesse would be playing the guitar and then the rest of us, and it, we would be lighting that shit up. <laughs> it was nasty. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. The second record. Oh, yeah. What time yeah. is it? Um, of course, Wild and Loose, 777-9311, The Walk, Jiggles Get Lonely too. Um, yeah. At least as good as the first one, maybe better. Yeah. We were, and I'm gonna tell you a little story about that too. We were, uh, and Jimmy Jam was just talking about that on his uh, radio podcast recently. Uh, we were, as a band, we were salty that we wasn't on the cover, you know. And Prince made the decision to put Morris on the cover, and his reasoning was like, when you go to a store and you look at all record companies, what catches your eye? Yeah, you know, he's <laughs> and so. Is it going to catch your eye? All six of you on the on the front cover, or Morris looking at his watch? He said, I think Morris looking at his watch is going to attract people. And he was right. Even though we, you know, we was like, and we worked hard and we deserve to be on the rubber and you've been treating us like shit and all that. But in hindsight, I mean, that's an iconic cover with Morris on the cover with the buffet hairdo looking at his watch. That's yeah. when people know what time is it. Yeah. yeah. So it was perfect. Yeah. So we before, just didn't think so. Yeah. Before we talk about the uh, splintering that happened, um, I wanted to know what your take was, you know, how you would describe in a nutshell, the unique personalities and special talents of all the five other guys in the band. Um, you know what? It was, it was a blessing to be around them because each guy has his own, you know, skill set that's exceptional and that's, you know, different and, and that made him survive in this business. And uh, just, just a blessing to be around guys like that. So, you know, you, you, you fed off each other. I'm sure they fed off drum beats and shit for some of their songs from me. Uh, I stole licks from Jesse and, and Morris. I mean, Jesse and Prince, you know, I, I learned a lot from that. Me and Terry, you know, we're bass and drums, so we're like a tandem. So I was always, you know, we were like attached to the hip. And Monty was always sophisticated. You know, he was always sophisticated, quiet white boy that, you know, would play all this cool shit on the piano or on the synthesizers. And this was even before we joined. So we knew, you know, the type of caliber musician he was. So 
So it was just a blessing. It's a blessing to be around them guys, man. You know, and me and Morris helped each other with drums and stuff, you know, because like I said, we was idolizing David Garibaldi. So what, what, uh, if I had trouble doing something, he could do it and he would show me, hey, well, Bing, try it like this. Well, then I, you know, I, he would be right. I, I, I get it right. And then, and I had to, because, you know, if I'm going to be playing these beats in concert, they got to be comfortable. You can't be struggling on stage in front of thousands of people because they're going to know, hey, he's struggling. You know, hey, no, you can't have that. So, so yeah, it was a blessing. And was 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 Jesse sort of a little bit mercurial? Or was he, a, a... he? He 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 used to be difficult just for the sake of being difficult. Cause you gotta realize Jesse didn't grow up with us. All the rest of the guys, we were around each other when we were kids. We weren't around him. He didn't come until we started doing the time. So he had to kind of incorporate himself into it, and you know, and and I give him credit. He he tried, but. He came. He has different upbringing than us, so you know he he would be difficult for no reason sometimes, and and we got past that until the later years. You know, we we got past it. Still, after a while, we'd like, dude, you got to go. <laughs> you know, after a while. But uh, in the early years, you know, he 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 corporated his ways into being with us, but it, it was hard. You know, he, he was like I said, it was hard to deal with. He's still difficult to deal with today, and he's Hendrix. He's one of the best guitar players walking this earth, and he can be as difficult as hell to deal with. And that's the that honest God truth. If he sees this, he knows I'm, what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, he's an incredible talent, but I definitely yeah. seems a little headstrong and a little different yeah. thinking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he could be. He could. Um, he'd be all that, you know. But then you'll <laughs> see him on stage. You'd be like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Before uh, the incident happened with the uh, SOS band and Jimmy and Terry and, and all that, uh, okay. what would you say was uh, the most memorable uh, performance uh, that you guys all did together? Was it that Detroit one or was there something else or Long Beach? Was there anything that just comes to Detroit mind? And Long Beach, Detroit and Long Beach were, were cool. And I remember in the early, the first year, we played somewhere in New York in a club, and that was iconic too, man. It was it was surreal watching. And this was just a little small club. I don't know what club it was. I can't remember from back in the day. But uh, those those three performances that really really stand out for me, you know. And, uh, and I'm probably leaving something out, you know. But those those were the ones, you know, where we just felt like we were out. And you know what? And I I take that back. The performance here at the Met Center. Cause that was another night where we just lit Prince's ass up real bad here at the Met Center. You know, there was snowstorm outside, and thousands of people were in there watching us, and we got done. We literally pimped off the stage because the people were screaming loud, and we was like, "Yeah, we got his ass tonight." <laughs> and so yeah, so yeah, those four performances, yeah. yeah. Were you ever kind of relieved that you were behind the drum kit, so you didn't have to do quite as many moves as some of the other guys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had my own problems back there. So, but then when I see all the steps and all the things we got, and I used to be amazed just watching them do that because you know once once we became this fine tuned machine, you know, just watching the, all the sequence, you know, stuff, the steps and the slides across the stage and all the, you know Jimmy and T Jimmy and Monty doing their thing on the keyboards and and interacting with the audience too. I mean, Jimmy was great at interacting with the audience and still doing what the hell he needs to do, you know. So. So yeah, it, it it was like I was like watching my own show back there, you know, playing the drums, you know. So, <laughs> so when the um, uh, Terry and Jimmy got snowed in, they couldn't get back, and uh, Prince let them go. What was yeah. your um, what did you feel personally about that when it went down? I felt betrayed, and I quit. 
just like Monty did. I quit for a while, but the only problem with Scott is I was having my first child, my firstborn. And uh, we were in production for Purple Rain. And uh, he, him and Jesse were hunting for other band members. Morris was pretty subdued about it. He was pretty upset, too. So he wasn't participating in that part of it. He was just doing what he had to do. And so I quit. And then, you know, I, like I said, I have my first child. So I came back, you know, and he, oh, he took me back in open arms because my whole problem with Scott is that we had spent two years building this band up. And for him to just fire those guys and try to blame it on Morris, you know, that's the thing problem Morris had too. He, he said, Morris, what would you do? You know, and uh, Morris, Morris didn't say that. He just walked out the room and, and he told Terry and Jimmy they were relieved of their duties. And, he, and later he tried to retract and you know in the press that he didn't do it that Morris did no Morris did not fire them guys he did you know Prince did that so so like I said I felt betrayed and everything uh, we recruited we recruited Paul Peterson Mark and Mark Cartness who I still say to this day never should have been in the time he never should have been and, and it was a genius okay this happened again come on okay uh, am I back. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And he, uh, we recruited, uh, Jesse helped recruit Martin Cardenas and we, we got a uh, Paul Peterson and Paul was 18 years old. Wow. So, you know, he was wet behind the ears. I'm sure he would tell you this. He was wet behind the ears, everything. And Jesse rode him like a, like a horse and stuff, but he was a great kid. I mean, he's 18 years old, multi-talented, as you can see all that today, you know, that's why I'm in the band with him today. But, uh, uh, so it, it worked out and stuff. I had my doubts and we went back in the heavy rehearsal mode because you had to rehearse that version of the band, you know, to be, get ready to, for Purple Rain and stuff. So we was into those eight and 10 hour rehearsal days every day. And we got it going, you know, we got it back, you know, where so at least when we, you know, we did the movie and stuff, we were prepared, you know, so. I, I remember being in a, a ballet, you know, he had us in acting classes and you had to do ballet dances and all that crazy shit, you know. And you had to be on the set at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. So I don't miss that, but you know, we got through it, yeah. Would you say at that point, after that incident, it kind of went from being, you know, a, a, a fun band experience to being sort of a job to get through that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. At this point, it was a job. It was my job. My friends were gone. I missed them. You know, three of my friends that, you know, I had knew would help make this band be what it was were gone, you know. So it's like a job and it was a paycheck, you know, because I still, like I said, I had, I had family and I had a house I had to pay for and all that stuff. You know, so it was like, yeah, going to your regular job, just a little bit different. Did, did you ever express any uh, disenchantment to Prince? No, I didn't because I knew it wouldn't have made any difference, you know, because he was just blowing it off. That's that's what he was. You got to realize he was getting huge there. He was becoming this huge, you know, star. And uh, that's the one thing I've learned about dealing with my rich friends. And, and I've really learned it in, 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 you know, in recent years, just dealing with them is money changes you as much as you say it may not, you, you know, no, I'm not, no, you're not the same person you grew up when we were 18, 19 years old. You're not. Now you, this, you know, you, this corporate person, you've got all these employees working for you. You got all this money. You could buy your, your daughter around the world and stuff. And that can get to you. you, you it can get to you in a negative way sometimes when it comes to your friends. And I watched that happen to me with a few of my friends, you know, so, but, you know, life goes on. So. Did you ever think that uh, Prince would be that successful? I mean, I don't think anyone could imagine that, but when you first were seeing his talent, how successful did you think he might be? 
you know, I knew he had a great chance, got a being very successful, but not to the, I, I, not to my wildest dreams that I think he'd win an Oscar or that he would have a, a hit movie. And, you know, he used to tell us that he had dreams about the movie. And, you know, that was when we were, you know, the first tourist, the controversy in 1999 tour. That's his whole thing. He was obsessed with, like, we're going to do a movie about this. He could see this. He, he could see all this stuff, you know. And I wasn't sure, you know, I was just like, I'm just happy to be in this. And we're big all around the country and everybody adores us. But as far as the movies, that was a whole totally different thing. Just being on the big screen and being a snotty nosed kid from the north side, you know. Oh, I'm going to be on the big screen. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. you know. But he saw that. He saw that we could do that. And so, yeah. So, yeah. And here, of course, is that record that. Um... Oh, yeah. I, I remember castle. picking up the castle. That was an actual castle, man. It was an actual Where? castle that we, that we did the video at, yeah. Up in Hollywood Hills. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, considering what was going on at the time, I mean, it was better than you really had any right to expect. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, You know, like I said, I, I didn't, I, all this was happening around me, but at the same time, you know, I was like, damn, you know. It really would be nice if Prince was nicer, but you know, look at what look at what's going on, you know. So I guess we can afford to let him be an asshole at this point, you know. <laughs> and, and you're actually more famous. He's making you more famous every day. So you know what the hell? You might not have the money to show for it, but at least you're famous. You know? so, hey. And you you you're playing on this one. I play. I'm on the bird. Okay. Because you know, and that's I'm gonna tell you a little story about that too. Because me and Morris. You know, our conversations with Prince, we wanted to put, there's a studio version of the bird that's funky as hell. Uh, but Prince didn't want that. He wanted the version out of First Avenue. So that's why the live version is on there and stuff. And he took it, went and doctored it up and, you know, did a few overdubs and everything. But he left it pretty much how it was with that night we played it at First Avenue. And then he put the, the performance from Jungle Love, he put that in the actual movie of us playing, you know, the, actually playing Jungle Love from First Avenue. So... So yeah, that's how I ended up on there. Looking at those uh, three-time records, was there anything, uh, or what track out of all those would you say was maybe the most challenging for you to play drum-wise? Oh, seven, seven, no doubt, seven, seven. I, I remember me, Prince, and Morris sat down at the drum set, like we was trying to figure how the hell is being gonna do this, you know? Because it's a drum, it's a drum machine, and and it's damn near physically impossible. Even though we got a lot of world-class drummers out here that hit that beat, beat pretty close. It is an extremely difficult beat. Here I am at 61 years old playing it every time we play and stuff. And it always snaps me back to reality, you know. And I've seen many, many drummers, you know, play it and stuff. And they get close and everything, but it, it's a very challenging beat. And I, I, I challenge any drummer that if you're going to be a drummer, you need to learn that beat. Because it, it is very complex, especially if you play it like it's on the drum machine. I mean, David Garibaldi is the one that designed that beat. If you, if you listen to play him play on the Tower of Power, he has some of the most difficult drum patterns, and he plays them like nothing, like a robot. You know, he's, there ain't nothing to him. So that's the thing. So I was not shocked. I was not surprised when, when I heard that he did the beat, but I knew it was going to be hard. So me, Press, and Morris, we sat down in the drum set, and we figured out a way that I could play it every night and that the guys could dance to it and the beat would be right. It's worked out now for 40 years, you know. <laughs> so that's 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 what it's the most difficult one out the whole time catalog, no question about it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things about Prince too that made him so unique and his innovations and all that 
was uh, his gift for being, um, you know, creative with a drum machine. So yeah. um, how did you feel about that, being an actual drummer? Did you feel uh, cool with, with the drum machine stuff? Yeah, I did. I did because it, it challenged me as a drummer to play that stuff. It's challenging to play those those drum machine beats. And you see, you notice in his own band, he took Bobby Z from playing. The first year Bobby played actually played trap drums, and he put him on the drum machine. And he had the accent and stuff because Prince had made the drum machine such an incorporate thing into his thing. So he had to have that. You know, and then later on when he got, you know, like Blackwell, all them guys that could play like a drum, then, you know, he, he let them loose. But uh, I watched him do that with Bobby. You know, it, it, it was hard, man. <laughs> I, I, I felt Bobby's pain sometime. I really did. Yeah. You know, from the outside looking in, Jelly Bean, seeing how you were there with uh, Purple Rain, and then you were, <clears throat> you were there with the family, which we'll talk about yeah. in, in a minute. But from yeah. the outside looking in, um, because you were still there when almost everyone else was gone. gone. Wow, Jelly Bean must be really tight with Prince. No, I wasn't really tight with him, but he, I, I think he believed in me, Scott. That's what it was. He, he believed. He always gave me a pass, man. You know, until I decided I didn't want to pass no more. You know, <laughs> but uh, and and you know, and that's the thing. He really, he, I tell people this. He he helped make me famous, but it was at a price. You know, I had to, I had to put up with a lot of stuff, man. I really did. And then when I became more independent, I got started working for Flight Time. And then I would say stuff in the press, and he'd get mad about it, but he couldn't do nothing because I didn't work for him no more. And I was just voicing my opinion that I didn't voice when I was working for him, you know. 